Welcome back to Express Radio. I'm Dana and I've recently sat down with Louis Ambrose, who is one out of three brothers, Finn, Felix and Louis, that recently rowed 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, this is one of the biggest rowing challenges that a person could complete. So it's just incredible to see that they've done it and they did it in such an amazing time, 36 days, two hours and 41 minutes, raising money for the Tusk Conservation Charity based in Africa. So far, they've raised £26,956. If you want to donate, I'll leave the link to donate down below i hope you enjoy this interview and if you have any more questions don't be shy give louis a message or message me and we can get you in contact and if you're thinking of doing anything similar just listen along and listen to louis advice he is your man to go ask so i hope you guys enjoy this episode thank you so much for listening and thank you louis for coming on welcome louis one of three ambrose brothers who just recently crossed the atlantic ocean in a rowing boat covering three thousand miles of 1.5 million oar strokes uh took you a total of 36 days two hours and 41 minutes how are you feeling yeah feeling pretty good to be honest yeah. um really nice to be back on land i think um you know not sitting down sort of having been moving or being rocking about is a massive positive yeah. Um, beginning to sort of recover physically now you know can walk which is always helpful now hands are sort of back to normal um but you know whilst it is sort of really nice to be back on land sort of it's you know it's a challenge that we set ourselves a couple of years ago worked pretty hard to you know to get there so mm-hmm. there's um almost a bit of a bit of a gap now I think in our lives yeah because I mean this thing's been going on for nearly two and a half three years now hasn't it from when you first said that you were gonna uh try and accomplish it and now it's all done and dusted and how are you feeling do you feel like like you said is there a bit of a gap in your life now yeah slightly you know I mean it's sort of certainly towards the end of it sort of the last six months it just took up sort of every moment that you weren't you know at work or yeah so I think now um yeah there is a might be might be an inkling to sort of move on to the next thing (laughs) <laughs> not, not not too soon though or perhaps not for something something sort of so extreme yeah I was going to say you probably need quite a lot of time to recover I mean it, it looked gnarly it was a big challenge 3,000 miles is a long way I mean I hadn't really because I remember when we first when you first told me about it a couple of years ago I was to begin with I was like eight that's ages away so you know he's fine he's got tons of time to practice and there's three of you you'll be fine but also I didn't I couldn't quite comprehend sort of how far 3,000 miles is can you sort of put that into another perspective for so like isn't it it is it is really hard to grasp yeah yeah it's really hard to grasp I think um you know a lot of a lot of the sort of the fuss that's made beforehand about the challenges you know oh you'll see like the sights you'll see you know the nature you'll see will be unbelievable Mm. in reality like you see nothing for weeks on end. <laughs> All you do is either stare at the back of the person in front of his head or just look at the sea. A lot yeah. of time blue <laughs> or grey. Yeah, I mean, I think you've really got a lot along the way. I saw at one point you were stuck in a load of seaweed. I think that's probably the only thing you got to see, really, isn't it? Yeah, that was um, sort of a, a brief moment of excitement, actually. Yeah, what happened yeah. there then? How did you sort of stumble across that? How far into the journey was it? I think that was pretty near the end. I think it's probably a week or so from the end. Um, mm. We'd sort of been seeing these clumps of seaweed the whole way across, and then suddenly there's just this massive patch. And there's um, no way to avoid it, because if you don't want to go round it or anything, do you, you just got to go straight through? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a massive issue. We were able to get through it and yeah. sort of go for a rescue or anything. <laughs> so was that an option then? If anything went wrong, were there people on standby who could come get you? Or was it really you're in the middle of nowhere? Good luck. I mean, it's to an extent, it's sort of a bit of both. You know, fundamentally, it's an un, like unsupported challenge. You are meant to be able to look after yourself, and the ocean is big. Yeah. Um, so if something were to go really wrong, then so the protocol is that the nearest ships would sort of oh. come and rescue you. Oh God, that would um, be a big rescue. Yeah, which I think is pretty terrifying, and unfortunately, it did happen to one of the teams this year. Oh no. Um, yeah, so we had some pretty bad weather around Christmas. Yeah. Pretty strong wind and you know, therefore some quite big waves. And um unfortunately they capsized and weren't able to rewrite the boat. So they had oh, to I, I hadn't even thought about that as being an issue as well. They're quite big boats, they're not just the small. So if do you want to describe what the boat looks like? Because they're not small rowing boats like you see in the Olympics, are they? They're the big chunky things. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they're well, our one's about eight and a half meters long. Yeah. It has a cabin at each end. Um, but in total, it's sort of, I think it's about two meters tall and about a meter and a half of that sits on top of the water. Um, but then the purpose of the cabin, one of the purposes of the cabins is that 
sort of the way it's structured, the way it's built means that it will should self right. Mm. So just because the way that you know, essentially becomes if it's the wrong way up, it becomes top heavy. So it should go okay, so it flips itself. Yeah. Spin back over. Yeah. Okay. Oh god, that's quite terrifying though, isn't it? The thought of I don't know, flipping. So I can imagine that there was so much training going into this. So obviously you said that the idea sort of sparked about two, three years ago. So what inspired you to do it? Was it, do you want to talk about your dad, Hugo, and obviously the fact that he did it nearly 19 years ago now, didn't he? Yeah, so that's exactly right. Um, I think I was sort of eight or nine, I think, at the time when he did it. And at, at the time, the, the challenge went over to Barbados and we as a family went out there to meet him. And I think that sort of image is always stuck in my mind of you know being at the finish line and um, you know watching him come in. So I think yeah. that was definitely sort of almost the uh, the catalyst, if you will. Yeah. And as a result of that, you know, we've always known about the challenge, and I think it's always been sort of hanging over us. <laughs> Got to um, beat Dad, come on. <laughs> so a few years, yeah. So a few years ago, um, you know, we us three sat down and um, thought it might be time to you know take it off the list. So how did that go down? Did you go up to him and say, right, dad, you did it in 59 days. We're going to do it in 35. <laughs> it's on. I mean, he was really supportive of it. You know, he found it to be an incredibly beneficial experience for him. Yeah. So fortunately, you know, that means that he was sort of in a positive position. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, at the same time, there's always, you know, as a parent, like, it's always going to be pretty um, daunting, perhaps. Yeah, because the thing is, it was you, Finn and Felix. So three brothers all going off to sea at the same time, like so many challenges. The sea is a big place, like you say, it's quite a scary, so many things could go wrong. I bet your parents are bricking it, I don't know, before you went, they're like, ah, oh, all three of my little babies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is the, uh, all the eggs in one basket. So. <laughs> <laughs> that could be uh, could be mentioned. But, um, you know, the information that we have and the, you know, the training and sort of the preparation that you go through is really, really thorough, considerably better than it was when my dad did it. So yeah, I, I bet it must have improved so much now. So I saw that the training that you had to do, you did ocean rowing, um, SRC, marine radio, first aid, sea survival and RYA navigation. So how long did that take you to complete all of those qualifications? I think that was a week. Okay. The, um, Crash course. And, you know, they, they very much give you sort of the, you know, the basics, the fundamentals. The best thing that you can do is unsurprisingly go out on the boat and row. Yeah, and it doesn't mean like going for a couple of hours because you, frankly, the rowing is the easy part. It's the like it's the getting to live on the boat or learning to live on the boat. Yeah, because it's quite a small space, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So so we found that we found that quite quickly the most beneficial like beneficial thing to do was sort of to go out overnight, Mm -hmm. try and go for sort of you know upwards of twenty four hours. So, had you ever rowed before? Did you ever do it at school or in the gym or anything? Or was it like this is my first time ever rowing? Let's go three thousand miles. I mean, I've sat on a rowing machine before, but it doesn't translate that much to um to what we're doing. Sort of, obviously, it is it is rowing, but you know, the boat's built slightly differently, and also as well, the intensity. <laughs> yeah, the intensity that you row at is so low, but it's more sort of like walking. Okay, so you're not, yeah, because I suppose when you're in the gym, you're like, right, I'm going to go this distance in this amount of time. You really sort of, you know, put all your effort into it. But obviously, if you're doing it for a month on end, like, you've got to set a steady pace, don't you? Exactly. Yes, I mean, you're never out of breath when you're doing it. And you are, of course, doing this to raise money for the Tusk Wildlife Conservation Charity, which is in Africa, currently at £26,956. That is a huge amount of money raised so far, but you're not done yet, are you? You're looking to raise up to a hundred thousand is it i think the goal i mean we frankly want to just keep going yeah um, you know like in, in all honesty sort of the the hundred thousand pounds was sort of a a target that we set a couple of years ago unfortunately just with sort of the way that things have transpired like that looks quite a long way off at the moment <laughs> um any any money for any charity is better than doing nothing isn't it so the fact that you've raised twenty six thousand pounds nearly twenty seven thousand that's insane amount of money so big pat on the back for you guys yeah well yeah thank you but I think that's exactly right you know it's easy to say like oh we didn't reach our target but as you said it's still a lot of money that you an extra 27,000 pounds yeah how did you choose the Tusk charity then uh so Finn one of my brothers had spent quite a lot of time over in Kenya Mm. um and so he sort of you know witnessed the their work their input firsthand um and we sort of we felt that you know perhaps naturally and you know, rightly a lot of teams go for sort of more human like humanitarian charities yeah. so we thought perhaps um you know try and do something a bit different 
and sort of um you know try and support a conservation one and it's nice as well that you didn't just go eeny meeny miny i pick you that obviously finn knows a lot about this charity he's seen it firsthand so you actually went for something that's quite meaningful yeah that's right and we did do quite a lot of research into into the charity yeah. um what we particularly liked about them was that they're sort of they're quite a small sort of agile charity and what they're very good at is actually just sort of pr- helping for like help help to provide funding so they don't have sort of there's not like massive like loads of boots on the ground as you will like in in yeah. africa essentially they're just like linking sort of you know the money oh that's quite nice so they're sort of overseeing they split it up between lots of other people exactly yeah so uh, a lot of yeah, work a lot of the work like helping doing. one you're helping several or quite a few charities in the end yeah so a lot of the work they're doing at the moment is sort of is around sort of like uh anti-poaching mm-hmm. um, so a lot of the money is going towards sort of supporting the rangers rather than them having to sort of you know try and do it themselves they, yeah. leave, they leave it to the professionals and they, they help yeah. The funding. yeah oh so that's actually I, I can't believe that though every time i click on it and there's more and more money it's just it's fantastic isn't it i bet you feel so happy um, yeah, it's, it's really good to see. Yeah. yeah. So before you set off, you were obviously doing little bits of training. So you said that you would do sort of 24 um, hour overnight rows and stuff. Was that the only thing that you were doing? Or did you sort of say, oh, we're going to do a week long little expedition or what other bits of training did you do? So right. I mean, right at the end, in sort of September, I think we did about a three and a half, four day one, um, mm. which was you know the most beneficial bit of training that we did. Um, but, you know, was he? the reality is that we all have lives to leave like to to live we can't just dip off uh, (laughs) yeah exactly um so day to day a lot of it was you know in the gym or sat on a rowing machine which by the end of it we're pretty happy to um yeah i think is that when it all kind of sunk in after those three days that you thought we're gonna have to do that now uh times it by 10 we're gonna be doing it for 30 40 days is that was there a bit of panic there or was it or did you feel quite content where you're like okay we can we know between the three of us we can do this yeah, I think it was probably the probably the latter option. You know, fortunately, we um were sort of you know, fairly fairly happy with sort of how we performed, how and how the boat itself performed. But yes, it's hard, but it's we always felt that it was achievable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've grown up by the seaside, um, so you have sailing experience and lots of you know water sports experience, don't you? I've got a little bit, but not um <laughs> not, not in not rowing as such. But... Yeah, not rowing. Yeah, no, but at least you're comfortable in the sea. Like you kind of know what you're doing, and obviously all the training definitely helps. But as the eldest out of the three brothers, did you feel a sense of responsibility? Were you kind of, did you feel like you had to look after your two little brothers, or was that, you know? I mean, there's always an aspect of you know we feel slightly protective, but I'm you know I'm sure they did too. They're grown ups as well, you know. Yeah, exactly, like we are. We are all adults now. Yeah. yeah. So um, no, yes, you're right. There is certainly an element of. You know, trying to look out for them, look after them, but then you know they're perfectly capable as well. Yeah, of course they are. <laughs> a, lot, I mean, a lot of the time they're looking after me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're still my brother, still useless, but when it comes to looking after themselves, they'll be fine. Um, how would those last couple of days? So where did you set off? Uh so you obviously you flew over to where did you start from again? Uh so flew like flew to the Canary Islands. To, oh, so okay. Oh, God, that's... And then you ended in Antigua. Ended in Antigua, yeah. yeah. So, so you we start take... in Lagomera, which is just off Tenerife, yeah, like a little island, and then yeah, we pushed off from there, and then five bit weeks later, ended up in the Caribbean. <laughs> and how did that work then? How did it? How did you manage to take your boat over? Did you have to get that shipped across to the Canary Islands, or did it come on the plane with you or something? Or yeah, that's exactly right. So it gets shipped. So we mm-hmm. we put it in a container in about October, I think. And you just have to go, bye bye. Hopefully you're there in time. Yeah, cross your fingers and hope that everything turns up at the other end. Yeah. Um, so before you set off, obviously you had to lay everything out, count everything, make sure you had enough food, toilet paper, all your you know, navigation equipment and stuff. Was there a moment where you thought, oh my God, have we forgotten anything? Are we worried? Because obviously you had enough food for 60 days between the three of you, you had plenty of food. But was there ever a moment where you thought, like, what if things go really horribly wrong? And we run did you ever have that moment of panic or fear? I don't think there was a really a moment of panic. Yeah, in terms of you know, from the from the preparation aspect of it, like so we did we did it as part of an event. So Atlantic Campaigns, who the, the event organizers, but like they have an unbelievably good sort of like safety yeah. team who you know they've all done it and they've seen hundred well now hundreds of boats get across successfully, yeah. hundreds of people. Um and with that, you know, year on year it means that the advice that they can give improves and therefore you know the 
the kit requirements, for example, they also improve. Yeah. So and they're incredibly thorough at you know checking everything. So we yeah. we went through multiple inspections just to make sure we had everything. So I think there, there was there wasn't a moment of panic sort of in terms of you know forgetting something. No, because I was going to say they they obviously know what they're doing. Like this is a whole campaign, as you said. So there's people there to help you out. Um, how did life change then? Obviously, from you know waking up, having a nice hot shower, putting the telly on, to then being in a rowing boat in a confined space of two of your brothers in the middle of nowhere. How did sort of what was your daily routine like? It wasn't so nice anymore. I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that is that is correct. Yeah, it's um. You, I mean, honestly, you just sort of have to get used to it. You know, there's no, there's no hiding from it, and also, it's not like you have a choice when you're out. There. <laughs> it's not like you sort of you have to get up and you have to run. Yeah, that's that aspect makes it quite easy. But then at the same time, you know, we spoke quite a lot about you know the things we missed and what we we're looking forward to the most, and you know, a shower and yeah, not cleanliness seemed to um come up in pretty much every <laughs> every version of the conversation. Tell us about the bucket then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously living on a boat means you have to sort of go through all the all the processes. So yeah, we essentially you just have to use a bucket for the um No more needs to be said, yeah. There's not a, honestly there's not a massive amount of privacy either. No. So, um, but I suppose become... that's a nice thing. Imagine if you got on a boat with a couple of strangers and then all of a sudden you were in this tiny little living quarters. It's nice that it is your brothers. Like you've probably seen each other in worse places. So <laughs> I think that's right. And like, you know, the the child inside all of us will always find it quite funny. Yeah, but you you literally you just get used to it. Yeah, and how was no, it? It's certainly not a reason to massive bonding experience. Yeah, we're pretty close now. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you do about um, showering and stuff? Did you jump in the sea? Did you ever go for a swim in the sea? Or yeah, so we did. We did go in the sea, but um, I mean, theoretically, the the primary sort of objective of that was to clean the bottom of the boat. Okay. Um, in terms of sort of the washing, like. The best thing to do is just try and use fresh water. So we had a water maker on board, which obviously allowed us to drink water. Yeah. And then um, you just sort of wipe yourself down with a cloth as well. Fine. Baby wipes, you know. Baby wipes are fine. But yeah. the thing is, if you have too many, they just, like, they just weigh a ton. So we yeah, have also... baby wipes, but you don't want to rely on them. Yeah. And with food and stuff. So you had some pretty gnarly food. I mean, it was a lot of dehydrated packets and uh, I'm not quite sure. What was what was the best and worst meal that you had? Um, I think the best meal that I had was a one of the breakfasts, which was like granola and raspberries. I found that the <laughs> yeah, I found that the breakfasts actually were absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. So I think essentially they're just you know, it's powdered milk and then you know some variant of like cereal. Yeah, um, which I thought was pretty nice. And like, unfortunately, I've got quite a sweet tooth, and they a lot of them are pretty sweet. So it sort of meant that that was all right. Um, in terms of like the main meals though, there was a bolognese, which I quite liked, but I kind of had it every other day. So I've sort of had to take a bit of time off from, from, um, from spaghetti bolognese. Um, but then, so sort of like, we had to eat about 5,000 calories a day. So around half of that came from these three meals and the rest would have to come through snacks. So I just ate about a lot of Oreos basically. (laughs) for the month oh no what a shame, <laughs> what a shame. yeah oh, bummer yeah and even considering that you were eating five thousand calories a day i mean the weight loss that the three of you went through is actually pretty insane so within a month you lost eight kilos felix lost nine and finn lost seven that's a big drop in weight obviously you were you know doing a lot of exercise you you know how did it feel when your parents saw you were they like oh my god you need to get some muscle back on those bones and fat back on those bones i mean it didn't i didn't it didn't take very long i think to put back on the weight <laughs> i think um i think we we weighed ourselves after about a week in Antigua, and i think felix and finn were back up to uh back up to yeah. their, their previous weights i think you know a lot of that is i imagine it's sort of like water weight as well yeah definitely i would think that you sort of dehydrate i don't think you'd be able to eat enough <laughs> calories to put on seven kilos in a week i think um some of that must be hydration yeah, I mean, you were out in the sun all day, every day. These boats, they don't have a roof over the actual rowing bit, do they? So you are getting battered by all the elements. What was the worst bit of weather that you came across? I saw there were some really big waves and horrible stormy conditions. Yeah, so on, I think, the Christmas night, so on the night of the 25th, we had, from then we had four days of sort of pretty horrible weather. And that, that it's during this period that that team unfortunately capsized and had to be rescued. 
but yeah, that was pretty um pretty bleak to be honest. I'm feeling yeah. a bit sorry because I was on Boxing Day, I think. But um, <laughs> what way to spend Christmas? Yeah, it sort of slightly rubs salt into the wounds, so to speak. <laughs> but um, the the issue that we found was that just once you get wet, you just couldn't get dry. Like, yeah, you know the boats are tiny, and like then the cabins get wet, so you like you just um you are just then uncomfortable. Yeah, and you're like sticky and chafing. Were you worried about anything sort of like trench foot or any of those? I mean, we were pretty damp. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> really was not a good look. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you just like the skin starts dying, and you just everything sort of falls apart a bit. Mm. Particularly pleasant, but um, we found that you know, generally a lot of people said, "Oh, how are your hands? They must be so painful." But like, generally, your hands are sort of fine. They sort of sort like they've sort themselves out. They look after themselves. The worst bit. Was actually our bums because I think just you're yeah. sitting on them the whole time and then if they get wet and you start getting salt water in there and I think that was yeah that was where the issues were yeah so I mean you had a few little injuries I mean you know back sores legs hurting bums hurting calluses on the hands and stuff but luckily nothing too major between the three of you yeah that's right yeah we were I think it's it's fairly rare that you anyone gets seriously injured mm. um you know it's more just like bumps and scrapes I think one of the things that we are looking forward to is just when you're on the when you're on the boat and obviously everything's moving sort of every time you move you seem to bang something so it just hurts like you're just slightly in pain the whole time yeah it is like that yeah you're just trying to get into the cabin and you hit your head or your knee or something like that it's just can really weigh you down yeah and I think the thing about it is there's you can't just you know get up and go for a stroll or stretch your legs really I mean you literally just have to stand on the spot stretch and then sit back down again there's there's nowhere to go is there yeah that's right I mean you can sort of you can lie out in the in one of the cabins, but I've, I've when I've sort of I reckon now I'm only beginning to be able to sort of stand up straight when I walk, but I'm literally about four inches short. That's fine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, what was it like being in the ocean? Because I mean, the Atlantic is a very deep part of water. So I think, do you know the deepest part that you crossed? I'm not sure. I think I imagine it's around five thousand meters, something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. I, think I saw one of the other teams, because um, how many other people set off with you at the same time? So it's quite a few teams, isn't there? Yeah, so there were 43 teams in total. I think it was 127 rowers. Okay, it's so quite a lot the of teams, people. teams, like you can do it by yourself. And then yeah. you can also go right up to a five. Oh, okay, can you? Yeah, because I saw someone posted and they were like, um, their team was crossing the deepest part of the ocean. And I saw that and my spine, I went... Ugh, like that is terrifying to me how did it feel like are you good with deep water or is it kind of you just don't think about it and just cross and hope for the best I'm a lot better now than I was yeah. um, I mean like, like the thing is if if you don't want to get in you probably don't have to but yeah. um we found that sort of it's all slightly part of the experience and like as I said sort of we had to get in to clean the bottom of the boat and like it was actually quite good fun what was that like was that a one a, once a day once a week sort of thing um so I think the the recommendation is to sort of do it probably at least once a week okay uh, we had some you know with all that sort of all the wind and all the weather we had at the beginning it meant that we couldn't really get in the water for about two weeks or we didn't yeah. brave it which we could have um so then when we finally did it it was quite a lot of bit of a chore then yeah exactly a lot, a lot of um a lot of growth came off the bottom of the boat <laughs> but then fortunately once you finish it you end up going a bit quicker so it's actually a bit of mor- like a morale boost yeah i think from then we aim to get into every four or five days i think to just have a look yeah and i mean between the three of you as well like you can take it in turns it's not like if you, i can't imagine doing that as a solo person that is absolutely horrible how did your dad do it did he do it with one other person or was he by himself yeah so he, he had a, he had a partner yeah. okay yeah i just honestly doing that by yourself is just the thought of it is just terrifying. If anything went wrong, I'd just cry for days. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> um, but what was the actual de- sort of day-to-day schedule? Like, what time did you did you all sleep at the same time and then all wake up together, or did you take it in turns to sleep? So we we took it in turns. You know, our objective was to not spend any longer than we wanted to out there. Mm-hmm. So we always <laughs> tried to have people. Well, we always had someone rowing. Yeah. Um. So we split. You know, split a twenty-four hour period into a day shift and a night shift. Yeah. Um, during the day shift, which was predominantly 15 hours long, we'd row for like we two of us would row. So you'd row for an hour and 20 minutes, then you've had a 40 minute break. Mm-hmm. So you do that for 15 hours a day. Then overnight, we would go down to one person rowing. 
And so you do a two hour shift where everyone row for two hours. And then after that, everyone would row for one hour. And then, oh, okay. then you come back to two. And what that meant is that for two people, you're able to get a block of four hours sleep and the other person yeah. had a three hour window. And then yeah. we sort of moved that around every day. But we found that that worked really well for us because having yeah. that sort of, that longer block, I think it sort of really helped sort of, um, not didn't sort of completely get rid of it, but it just really helped with like the, the sleep deprivation. Yeah, I was going to say the first couple of days must have been really tough getting into that routine. But like you say, if you're doing it week on week, it eventually just becomes as a lifestyle, isn't it, by then? Yeah, I think that's right. And it's the the thing is, like, it never it doesn't get any easier. You just get tired. You just get increasingly tired. But you do get better at sort of like learning to manage it. Yeah. Um, what we found is that, you know, physically you're able to sort of just keep going, but mentally or psychologically you're sort of, your your brain capacity seems to decrease quite quickly. Yeah. yeah. I think um, by the end of it, we're not having particularly um, productive conversations, I think. Yeah, sort of revert back to your five-year-old self, just going, give me Bicket or something. Yeah, it's not great, but... Pretty much, yeah, you just sort of make a weird face and some strange noise at each other. Yeah, I also saw that there was um there was a couple of hallucinations and stuff. Was was that from the sleep deprivation? Do you think? Yeah, that... I think it is. Oh, yeah, it? we had um and the one that I remember the most was Finn actually, and he thought a bag. We had these like, like a dry bag, basically just like a waterproof sort of mm-hmm. rucksack. And he thought I think he thought that was a roast chicken or something. Oh, I bet he was so happy when he thought it was a roast chicken. Yeah, I think. Oh, did you sort of talk him down on that? Were you like Finn? We're in the middle of the ocean. Remember? <laughs> no, I think um it was only him awake when he had it it didn't last a long period of time but i think the way that he explained it is that he was sort of rowing at the time he sort of saw this thing at the corner of his eye and he's just like what is that <laughs> could then, it be could it be but no it, it was the bag yeah. it was a hallucination shame um also how was the navigation what was that like did you have a little screen or something telling you where to go or was it a manual thing where you had a compass and you were just hoping for the best no so we had um yeah like a it's called a chart plotter it's like an electronic device with a screen, GPS. And so you can sort of, it's like a bit, it's almost like Google Maps. Yeah. Okay. Road, obviously, you just, yeah. Um, you just see where you are and see where you've got to be or where yeah. you hope to end up. Um, <clears throat> but so we, um, the, the, the way that you can sort of you know, do the crossing is traditionally you know, the, the shortest route is obviously the most direct route. Um, but generally what that means is you may not get the advantage of the wind. Okay. So obviously we're rowing from sort of from east to west. And a lot of the reason, or a lot of the reason that like the, you know, that this can take place is because of the trade winds. So we yeah. felt that the further south we went, the more to the more help you'd get. And mm-hmm. um, so quite early on, we pushed quite far south, like quite a long way further south than sort of most of the other teams. Yeah. Um <clears throat> And it worked like it did work for a couple of weeks because you know we are pretty light in comparison to you know certainly the fours and the fives. Obviously, one less person, but like the conditions yeah, are probably the, size, yeah. the conditions are the biggest thing to to the speed of the boat. And we sort of always said that like for um we'll always try and keep the boat moving as quickly as possible. So that meant we had to fight a little bit at the beginning, but then when we got a bit south, we then went quite well, like quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um but that was, you know, from like a from a navigational aspect of it, it was slightly daunting because we were very <laughs> aware that like we were going in a slightly direction to everyone else. Yeah. Because yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't sure sort of how old school it was because obviously you had to do the like the navigation training and stuff. But I didn't know if that was in, in I suppose that might be for worst case scenario, like if everything breaks and you do kind of have to go off of the stars or a compass or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I ultimately with them, um, with, with that crossing it's like if you go west you will eventually hit something you know navigation is far more complex when you're around land yeah like in the middle of the ocean there's well there's nothing so you're not really going to hit anything unless you're unbelievably unlucky so it's actually quite sort of one-dimensional in that aspect okay yeah so like, like you say if you just go in a straight line you will hit something eventually yeah was there any ever any moments though where it's for example the wind or the waves were pushing you back and you were getting really frustrated because it felt like you just weren't moving? Fortunately not. Um okay. and well sort of thankfully 
the 99.9% like of the time, the conditions were sort of, you know, were roughly with us or at least enough. Even that period sort of just after, like just after Christmas. Uh, yeah, it was pretty hard. But sort of the conditions were coming from, sort of from the northeast and we were trying to go west. So they are still helping, even if it is uncomfortable. The worst, um, I think it was actually our second last day where there was just no wind. And, like, and therefore, sort of the temperature sort of skyrockets and you're just in the middle of the car. You're, you're actually really having to row. Yeah. Um, which is that was pretty sort of hard work. But I think, um, you know, some of the teams that are still out there now, they've had a they're having a pretty hard time. Are some people um, still going then? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's probably. I reckon there's probably around 10 to 12 teams still out there. Yeah. Wow. Sort of some of the smaller teams. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you finished about two weeks ago now, didn't you? Two or three weeks ago. Um, yeah. And you were out there for Christmas and New Year. At least you were with your brothers there. And what did you do for New Year's? Did you sort of go, woohoo, we can treat ourselves to a chocolate bar or something? Or I think for New Year's, we did absolutely nothing for New Year's. Um, Just high five. Christmas. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, for Christmas, we did have some treats. Um, I think we had, I had a can of Fanta. And then I think there was a bit of dairy milk flying about as well. Oh, and we had these. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was luxury. And then we had these sort of packets of like dry cured ham, I think, which uh, went down very well. Yeah. Yeah, it's nearly a Christmas dinner, I suppose. Not far off. Yeah. No, not far off. I do feel bad for some of the teams crossing, but there was one team this year which set a new world record, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So do you know how many days they did it in? I think it was like 26 or 20-something, wasn't it? I think there's been a few world records set um but various like for very for various categories yeah because i was going to say it can't be the same world record for one person as it is for five people like that's, that's exactly hard. right yeah so I, I think the the quickest ever crossing i think is 29 days or something mm-hmm. which is from a team of four so that wasn't broken this year um but i think the mixed like the mixed teams one was i think the team that came fourth um they were a team of two guys and two girls. And so I think they got a, they must have broken a record. And then the trio's record was actually broken as well, which. No. Um, no, no. Well. How so, far off were you? I think we we're, were about 24 hours off. Okay. It was next year. Well, yeah. <laughs> See what happens. But um, <laughs> no, the, the team that, so the team that did that were a team called Dark Trio. Like, and they did uh, like unbelievably well. Um, you know, and they like, thoroughly, thoroughly deserved it. Um, there's a period about, I think probably when we were about 10 days out, where we realised, oh, we're probably not going to catch you know, Dark Trio, the mm-hmm. team in front, but we might get that record, like we might beat the existing world record. Um, so we sort of, we went like road a bit more, like try to push pretty hard for a few days. Yeah. Um, but then we realised that, you know, the four, unfortunately the forecast wasn't going our way and that sort of everything was really slowing down. So we weren't going to be able to sort of, well get there essentially in time um so we sort of slightly put on the like put on the brakes and just sort of slow down a bit try to sort of relax yeah yeah a lot of the reasoning behind that that you don't want to burn out or like hurt yourself or you know do anything too much just for the sake of catching up with this other group or that's exactly right and like you know we knew that you know the the record idea that's gone so we knew and then we also knew we're very unlikely to catch dark trier and what we then felt the next priority was was actually the arrival into Antigua. We wanted to that to be sort of during the day, um, yeah. You know, because obviously you're going to remember it no matter what. But one of the nice, one well, of the quite nice things is actually just having the photos and the videos. And they yeah, I saw all of it. And I like it was incredible to see you guys coming out. You had the flares off. You were all crying and hugging, and everyone was cheering. And I just thought, oh my gosh! Like you say, doing it in the daytime is probably the best thing ever. Yeah, exactly, and and then that sort of um, yeah, that that was the 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 main reason that we sort of decided to slightly slow down just over the last few days, just to ensure that we came in, yeah, daylight really. Yeah. So on average, how many miles do you reckon you were rowing a day? The, I think the average must be somewhere around just under a hundred, maybe six seventy-seven. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's just... sort of. The bigger days, you're probably up near 90 miles. And then mm. I think there was one day towards the end where we did about 50. <laughs> so I'm over it now. I'll just, we'll yeah, get I think we, were, we were fishing for about four hours. Yeah, um, I did see that, actually. You caught a pretty big fish at one point, didn't you? 
yeah so i think it was about two days from the end yeah. um it was a mahi mahi which was um i mean we ate it it was unbelievably nice <laughs> it's got to be the freshest food i've ever eaten i think probably what was it, it was about... did you see any other wildlife did you see any whales or dolphins or sharks or anything so we saw yeah so we saw a pod of whales i think on the first night and oh wow so thought, yeah really so we thought awesome. oh my god this is gonna be unbelievable like, we're gonna see so much and then it's getting for about a week um but i think it was actually we we're just about to get in the water or finn was about to get in the water to clean the boat and then we saw a shark, saw a shark behind get out, get out. yeah so i think um he didn't get back in for a while yeah um, and the next time finn's like louis you're going in yeah yeah we um we did see some dolphins yeah but i mean we, we can get a video of them you know they're too far away yeah um and like you said, it's such a big place, the ocean, that there could be something, you know, all the way over there, but there's no chance. You're quite flat as well. It's not like you're high up on a ship and you can kind of see for miles. You're quite flat. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Unless yeah. they're right by you. But Yeah, so you, you have to be slightly lucky. <laughs> Sorry? That's been scary seeing sharks. Yeah, I mean, obviously they have a bit, bit of a bad reputation, but I don't yeah. think it's actually um, not going to do anything, I don't think. No, like say, it's it's a big enough boat that you're you're not in like a little kayak or something where an animal's going to try and attack you. Like you're in a big enough boat that it'll be fine. But hopefully, yeah, yeah, hopefully well, yeah, it hasn't it hasn't happened yet. So no, was there any other? Um, so as you came into Antigua, what was that like on that day? Could you see your family? Could you see the finish line? Did they have? What did they have? Like fireworks going off or something? To celebrate? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of like sort of on on the um. You know, the more the the emotional side of it i think as we were approaching antigua we all sort of looked at each other and thought like not that excited mm. um which obviously sounds sounds horrible but sort of bear bear with me yeah and um <laughs> we sort of we all sort of looked at each other and thought, oh my god like i don't feel like you sort of you don't really feel anything like you just feel sort of almost feels like another day oh, yeah. and then i remember going around the corner and sort of looking over my shoulder and you saw well like friends family etc who all up on this like fort which overlooked the finish line and then we saw these like quite big sort of which like super yachts and um that i think that was when like the emotions really started to sort of like to kick in yeah think. i can also like you're saying though this has been like the main thing in your life the biggest challenge in your life for nearly three years and you know coming across the finish line wow amazing it's complete but at the same time like i bet there was a bit a bit of panic where you're like now what it's done. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is. See together, and it's done. Yeah, there definitely is sort of you know there was like an element of it being slightly bittersweet. Yeah, um, it was quite refreshing to just not have anything else to worry about. Yeah, and like for like, you know, fortunately, we're in positions where fortunately that's the case. You know, it's not the same. Obviously, it's not the same for everyone. But like, you're in an environment where all you're doing day to day is focusing on like eating or rowing, so yeah. it is. It is nice. And you like you do I've been sort of slagging it off a little bit, but like you do see some unbelievable sights. Like mm. I found that particularly at night. So there's obviously there's no light pollution. So if it's a clear night, you see like, the skies are unbelievable. And so those sort of aspects where like you can almost take them for granted when you're doing it. Yeah. But afterwards you think like that was actually quite nice. Yeah. And I bet the first couple of nights you were like, wow, look at all the stars. And then I suppose by the second week you're like oh still stars and then it yeah, just yeah exactly everyday life at that point doesn't it yeah. and it's like, oh. but now I bet you miss it like you do anything to go back and just be in the dark you know the sounds of the sea and stuff yeah it's um it's a serious serious experience yeah did you have any sort of massive arguments because I obviously being siblings I think there's there's a line and you're always able to cross it because they're your siblings but you know this is a, a grueling challenge was there a moment where you, anyone just went right I can't do this anymore <laughs> No, we didn't. Um, we didn't have any big arguments at all. I think, like, you know, naturally, you're in an environment where you're uncomfortable, you're tired, you're, I don't know, you're probably in a bad mood anyway. <laughs> and then someone says something, you just think, oh, shut up, and you sort of you bicker more than anything. But then, you know, being siblings, sort of, literally about a minute later, you've forgotten about it and you moved on. You're all yeah, China yeah, around. you're suddenly best friends again. Yeah, but I think. Um, one thing we did notice was that like because probably partially because you're so tired and also there's not really much else going on like the volatility at which you sort of experience emotions increases massively so like within sort of a five minute window you could be having an absolutely horrific time 
and then suddenly you're loving it yeah 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 so you have to sort of slightly bear that in mind as well that like if you're getting wound up by someone like the fifth probably a 50 percent chance that it's actually partially you <laughs> you just have to slightly keep a lid on it i think to bite your bite your lip at times yeah and how were those first steps coming back onto land so once you pulled up in antigua all the photos were taken i saw the pictures of you getting off the boat and people were sort of grabbing you by the arm and helping you off was there a moment where you kind of went jelly legged or was it yeah i'm pretty just pretty unsteady to be honest i don't think i was necessarily like jelly legged but i could hardly stand up like <laughs> like I could hardly stand up straight i remember being really hunched over and just it's pretty um pretty interesting experience quite hard to describe I think I wouldn't know how to um like what to compare it to yeah because I would kind of I was looking at the pictures and stuff and it kind of reminded me of you know when you see astronauts coming back down from space and they kind of take the first steps and everything just seems a bit disorientated I can imagine it probably felt a little bit similar where you know your world has been at sea for the last month it's not like you've been in a big cruise ship boat where it's pretty stable it's like you've been in this tiny little thing that's been rocking constantly yeah I think that's right and like also, you haven't actually walked no. for, like for five weeks. Like you obviously you have to move around the boat, but like you're you're either like literally on all fours or you're like holding on to the handle. <laughs> sort of like, yeah, it's like sort of trying to shift yourself along. So I mean, I guess I guess that's sort of part of it. Like you just actually haven't stood up straight and walked. And what did your dad say to you? What was his sort of reaction when he saw that you were easily going to break his record? Was he like, oh, for God's sakes, or was he just the most proud like, parent ever? <laughs> I think, um, you know, for him, it was obviously, I think it was a, like a like a really, a really positive experience. You know, I don't think there was ever that much um, like animosity or that much rivalry between the records. I mean, frankly, it would have been pretty embarrassing, I think, if we hadn't broken yeah, his record. Three of you hadn't um, beaten his, yeah. There are three of us, and also you know like the boats as well have come on a long way yeah. i think our boat probably weighed about half of what his did but we really um i'm not trying to like not trying to like play it down or anything but like we we, we did expect to uh yeah you should have been be yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah were you one of the youngest teams competing because i think i saw a lot of people were sort of sort of 40 50 years old maybe and you guys are all you know early mid-20s yeah we must have been um must have been one of the youngest teams there were a couple of others well there's one other who's very similar ages a team of actually a team of two sets of twins from the same family um who i think are around our ages um but then i think actually one of the girls who stood out there miriam i think is 23 so i think she's the youngest yes she's doing unbelievably well still it's it's bonkers isn't it that you know, there's so many challenges that you could do and to go 3,000 miles, it, it's so nice to see though that you can do it at the age of 20 and also there are people doing it at the age of 50. Like, it's it can be for everyone, this challenge, can't it? I think that's right, yeah. Like, it's such an inclusive, or it can be such an inclusive event. That, yeah. You know, there really is sort of no... Um, yeah, you know, like, you don't, you don't have to be, like, some unbelievable athlete to take part. Like, it's predominantly a mental challenge more than a physical one. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet this is harder than any test or any thing that you've ever done before, being at sea. Yeah, it's just, you know, you're in such a foreign environment. Yeah. So everything sort of, um, at times, sort of everything can weigh on you. And then a lot of, the, I think a lot of the issues sort of on the, the, the mental the mental challenge of it sort of come from like extrapolating sort of time. We found that very early on, you know, naturally you sort of think, oh, I've done four days. And now I've got to do this nine more times, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sort of as time goes on, you learn to you learn to live with that and you learn to sort of manage it. Um, yeah. But I think that was, you know, early on, that was sort of a lot of the reasons that, you know, you feel down, like down or depressed or sorry yeah, for yourself. Or, yeah. No, I think that's so good, though. I mean, you managed to you seem like you managed to stay positive the entire time. And it's obviously nice that you had contact with, you know, you can still contact your family. And was it? did you have to radio people or could you phone people i don't really know how it works if there's signal were you just hoping that they pick up yeah so we had um so we had a satellite phone okay um so we would um we would check in with the like the safety team the event organizers sort of probably every three or four day like every three or four days they would give us a ring and you know just make sure that we're all still still happy. yeah exactly all still safe or still well um but then sort of on the more personal side of it like since you, you can use these phones to sort of 
like speak to um you know speak to your family speak to friends etc which we sort of did um and then we had um we did also have a device which meant that we could essentially you could get like a data like a data connection um so we could use essentially we could use whatsapp and then like send photos and videos back and forwards do you think that made it better or worse like having contact with your family did you to begin with did you feel quite homesick or um i found it i found it quite emotional initially um i remember i think it was on christmas actually i called my mum and i could just hardly speak i just felt like i was gonna cry i don't really know why because i wasn't sad i was just sort of yeah i think i I guess i was sad but it's just more like just sort of hear other people and you think oh perhaps perhaps i'd rather be i'd rather be at home having christmas yeah I know. I mean, that's a really tough time of year to do it over Christmas and New Year's because, you know, you're so used to spending it with family and everything. But do they do it over Christmas for a certain reason, like you say, with the winds and the weather conditions and stuff? Is that what it's done? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's in a window where sort of the um, the sea temperature should be low enough that you're not going to get any sort of anything too, yeah. too drastic, too dangerous. Yeah. Do you know the biggest wave heights that you encountered? I mean, didn't measure them. But I think probably, I, I would imagine something around ten meters like yeah. from the from the trough to the peak. I would think. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were some pretty strong winds during that period, and it, you know, obviously the waves have a bit of a long run up by the time they get to you. Um, but it's not, you know, the waves that you're seeing. It's not like what you see around the coast. You know, they don't come like every three or four seconds. You know, they're sort of like a hundred meters or so, a couple of hundred meters apart oh okay breaking they're just they're more sort of hills yeah of course because they're not like rolling waves or anything are they they just go up and down so i suppose that must be quite straightforward did you have training with sort of getting through waves and stuff or did you just have to figure it on the spot i mean to be honest you just have to go with the with the waves you know like the the sea is far more powerful than you are i think i can't control that yeah if it's windy you're going to go with the wind yeah. And have you ever watched Life of Pi? Did you ever watch the film when you were younger or? I think I have, yeah. Is that the one where it ends up in a boat? Did that ever sort of come into pop into your mind and you thought, oh my God, like <laughs> <laughs> No, I think um yeah, there were some slightly sort of sketchy moments, but nothing that um nothing too bad. Yeah, no, and I mean it's it's done and dusted now. What's the next challenge? What what are you gonna do now? Are you just bumming out or are you gonna start training for the next thing? I think, you know, there is a bit of a gap, sort of in our, certainly in my life, I think in, in Felix and Finns as well. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of challenges out there and perhaps I'd, like, I wouldn't necessarily like, need to do something that's lasted sort of multiple days. Um, you know, I'm sure my work would enjoy it or, or at least pretend they enjoy it if I actually go back and do something. So I think I might sort of go and, <laughs> go and do that for a bit. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I'm sure there'll be, you know, something, some sort of goal but I don't, it's not going to be some like, you know, something sort of as equivalent as this, I think, for a little bit of time. Yeah, I think it's definitely, you definitely have a well-deserved, you know, time to have a break and just to chill out. How long were you in Antigua for? I think 10 days. Okay, so was that all just beaching, like sleeping? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was absolutely sick of the sun. <laughs> yeah, I, don't think I actually I genuinely don't think I went in the sun. I just sat under the umbrella for about a week. Been grumpy. Yeah, exactly. Just with a cocktail. Mm. No, it was um it was it's a really nice place to end up, obviously. Um so like you said, when you've been out there for a month in the weather, like just in the sunshine, you probably want to break. Yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't want to sound too ungrateful, but um mm. there certainly was an element where I thought like, oh my god, I wouldn't mind just oh. I wouldn't mind being in the UK in February. So, yeah, and I bet the first the first night that you got back, I'm assuming you just went straight to a hotel lay in a bed had a shower like ate a proper food of dinner how was that was there a moment because I know that when people go on these sort of challenges and they've been eating even not enough food or they've been missing out on certain vitamins and stuff when they come back and they first eat they have real problems with their stomachs and stuff because they're just not used to the rich food did you feel like that yeah um, no fortunately we didn't have any of that um I think the the nicest thing was definitely the shower I think we um well i at least found that i didn't really have any massive food cravings when we were out there i think that's probably just because you're eating so much yeah you are literally just ramming food down your face so you don't have any time to be hungry 
was it hard to keep up that 5,000 calorie diet? Because, I mean, that's a lot of food. It was hard at the beginning. Yeah. Um, we probably for the first four or five days, I think we all didn't eat enough. And like, as a result, your performance drops. Mm-hmm. Um, but you sort of, you know, you learn, you sort of, you almost eat like a, you force yourself to sort of eat to a prescription almost. Yeah. Um, we found that once you sort of get into a routine, you know, like you come off, we have this 40 minute, you have a 40 minute break. And we just try and eat like five, 600 calories and just continuously do that the whole time. And that meant that you're not having to sit down and try and eat like, trying to eat like a thousand calories of couscous. It's quite hard work, especially yeah. when it's really hot. But doing sort of breaking that up into, you know, a couple of a couple of sessions is um is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I think what um perhaps what we did learn is that, you know, the most important things sort of to your physical performance in in that event i think we're just hydration and nutrition like the, the sleep aspect is very much you know less important than those two those two factors um if you're eating and drinking enough you can really really function off very little sleep not particularly pleasant no it's not gonna be fun is it but... it can be done yeah did you ever get bored what were you doing when you were rowing were you chatting or were you just sat in silence did you ever play cards or listen to the radio or anything um I don't think, couldn't really say I've got bored, but mm. you did go for quite long periods of time sort of without talking and you sort of go into your own little world and which can be good or it can be bad. It sort of, you know, it depends on how you handle it and you get better at sort of at managing it. Because I think early on, a lot of what we did was sit in silence. Everyone's just dreaming about not being on the boat. But then you learn to sort of, you learn to manage it. And, um, yeah. You could sort of progress. We found that, I think initially we went out and started listening to loads of music, but we actually found that that didn't really help. Um, I suppose sometimes it's nice just to be like in the moment, in the element and focus on that. Yeah, I think that's right. And like the thing with music is it sort of, it, it sets a mood. So you have to be a bit careful about what you're playing. And you don't want to get too like riled up and then waste Yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to listen to anything sort of too depressing either. Oh God, no. And then also I think just because obviously like a song is generally around like three and a half, four minutes, you sort of, you're always slightly conscious about like how quickly time's going. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes um, I suppose it might just be better just to zone out and then be like, oh, it's been two hours instead of being like, oh my God, it's been four minutes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we found that, you know, we, we sort of sort of rationed the music. So come around to come to sort of like five o'clock in the, in the afternoon, we'd then start listening to music. So yeah. then sort of throughout the day, you, look, you almost look forward to it. Yeah, but honestly, the best way to pass the time was that is actually by talking, um, which we did try. But I think, like I said, by the end of it, you're not really making that much sense. Yeah. So the conversations were pretty um, inaudible. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think they made a lot of sense. And do you think you'll keep up your rowing? Do you think you'll get back on the boat again anytime soon? Or I don't think I'll I don't think I'll be rowing. Um, ever ever no i mean i just didn't really enjoy the actual I, when i say this i mean like rowing on a rowing machine hmm. um, i just find it pretty boring to be honest do um, you have yeah. the boat has the boat come back to england with you or no so the boat's being shipped back um sort of as, like, hopefully, hopefully as we speak yeah. um so it's en route i think i think we'd probably get it in a month or so's time and do you think you'll ever take it back out again? Just, you know, row to the Isle of Wight or something for the fun of it? Go for lunch. No, yeah. I think... Um, Cheaper we'll, than the we'll, ferry. Yeah. No, we'll probably... I think we'll we'll need to sell it. Um, so we'll look for um, you know, we'll look for a team that's probably doing it in two years' time, I think. Yeah. yeah. Offload it onto someone else, their problem then. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a market for it. So, um, yeah. yeah but, um, we, we can get rid of it. Yeah. And what would you say to someone who's thinking of doing this challenge or a challenge similar where you're quite isolated and it's really tough, massive scale challenge? What sort of the main messages you try and get across to them before they start? I mean, I would like sounds a bit cheesy, but like I would say 100 percent do it. Like, go for it. Um, you know, don't worry about it being difficult or challenging or anything like that, because you adapt. Yeah. Like you you change like human body is quite a useful bit of equipment. Yeah. So you, you get better at things very quickly. Um, but that that's not to say like be naive and you know just say yes. Like you also do need to go through the, the preparation for it. 
So do the work beforehand. Just be meticulous, be disciplined. And just I mean, frankly, like, like be consistent. Yeah, I think that's obviously you guys showed it so well. Like you had a plan. You set out nice and early. You worked through everything. You got all your qualifications, did all your training, figured out exactly what you needed to do. Even when you were on the boat, you were sort of planning your schedule on what you were going to, how you're going to sleep, who was going to row, what you're going to eat. So I think, like you say, you got to, you know, you've got to stick to it, don't you? It's really a big. Yeah, challenge. yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, like, like I sort of said, you know, like it's all very well having a plan, but if you don't stick to it, then it's pointless. So you have to be consistent. And that's not to say like blindly follow what you set out to do, because particularly in this sort of thing, you know, it will change. Mm-hmm. But be aware of that. But at the same time, you know, be disciplined enough to, you know, to, to, it's just really, it's just holding yourself accountable. Yeah, I think that's really important. Was there ever a moment when you were just so tempted to give up or quit and you just really had to pull yourself out of it? Were you pretty good? I mean, honestly, you can't really quit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no one's going to go. It's, not, it's not like a running race where you can just stop running. Right? Yeah. We're a long way from land, so you do have to keep rowing. Yeah. Um, I mean, theoretically, you could get rescued, but that's not a situation you want to be in. No, and I think also the thing with that is is you can't just be like, oh, I'm, I'm bored, I don't want to do it anymore because someone can pick me up. Like, you have to be in serious trouble for someone to, you know, go halfway out into the middle of nowhere to go get you. So Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, like, to be picked up or to be rescued, it would be by another, it should be like a, by a container ship. So like you're, um, do that. Yeah. Not an easy, uh, there's no easy task. Yeah. No, but that is honestly, it's just insane that you've done it and that you've raised 27,000 pounds for the Tusk charity, 3000 miles. Do you think you'll ever do it again? Yes or no? Will you ever try and beat your I'd do it again. Yeah, I would. Definitely. I mean, for me, it was, I'm sorry. Do you convince Finn, Finn and Felix still, or try and find other people? Um, I mean, we haven't we haven't discussed it in as many <laughs> in as many words. I think I think we'd all do it again. Yeah, perhaps do it. As, you know, we'd do it slightly differently. Um, you know, I think they both mentioned that they thought maybe doing it as a pair, not not together, but just you know, as part of a, a team of two, might be quite a good sort of quite interesting. Yeah, that's so nice though that it hasn't put you off for life. That you're all. Like you all enjoyed it clearly, and that you would be keen to do it again, and that it's it is a daunting challenge. Like it's you know I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that it's easy. It only took a month, but in you know in reality it took nearly three years. It's not you know it's a big challenge, but you've done it now, and it's yeah. Weird. I know it's quite a weird feeling. No, I think that's right. Like um, you no, know, like yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult, and you have some really crap days. But then you know the the feeling of the literally the feeling of crossing the finish lines was worth it i'd probably do it again just for well, it would just do it again yeah. yeah exactly like it is worth it and you know like the sort of perhaps like the pride and the yeah you know sort of the pride that you have as a, as a result of completing it and just the benefit i think that i know that it can now sort of do for me i think is um you know, is, is obviously a massive positive you know like you learn a lot about yourself yeah uh, good good and bad but that's you know i don't want to sound too much like like david goggins or something but like you do um you learn a lot about yourself and like you just learn sort of how to like how to improve yourself as well no but that's honestly so great i mean not only is it a good physical challenge but also i suppose that like like you say you probably changed and learned so much about yourself in so many aspects of your life a it's a great story if anyone asks oh what did you what's the best thing you've ever accomplished mate I rode the Atlantic insane <laughs> but also you know you've got all these things help you work well in the team what's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life it's just it's an unbelievable challenge so congratulations to you Felix and Finn and maybe next year or maybe in the <laughs> I think we'll give it give it a couple of years yeah maybe maybe we'll do a 10-year anniversary or something oh that would be cool right if that ever happens again I'll be out in Antigua this time we'll do an interview right at the end and then <laughs> looking forward to it yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, Louis. So nice talking to you. Um, if you would like to go donate, I'll leave the link down below so people can go donate. Uh, currently at £27,000. Uh, anything you want to say about the charity? One quick last word. I think really just to, you know, if you can, then like, please do, please do keep donating. You know, mm-hmm. um, like like with sort of like with everyone at the moment, like times are pretty hard. You know, the work that they're doing is incredibly important. And yeah. um you know, if they don't do it, then um, it does leave a leaves a huge gap. Yeah, I mean, so many animals and are struggling at the moment. So it's so nice just to 
you know, a fiver can help, two pounds can help, however much you've got, just a couple of pennies would be nice. So please do go and donate. Um, and if anyone has any more questions about rowing the Atlantic or if you're thinking about doing it yourself, Louis is your guy to go talk to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, like, on, honestly, if you do have any questions, then perhaps um, probably use our Instagram page. I think, like, honestly, like, happy to um, happy to answer anything. What's the Instagram again? It's Ambrose Boys, isn't it? Ambrose, Ambrose Boys, yeah. With them, um, that was in the Floaty Boys, as in the Floaty Boys, yeah. <laughs> good play on words there. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. This has been very, very good and useful, and it's kind of inspired me. I want to do something, but oh the ocean scares me i don't know i'll find a challenge <laughs> go for it i would say 100 very yeah. into it. i know when i saw you guys cross the finish line my heart just exploded i was like ah what a cool thing to accomplish i i need to work up to something now and you've truly inspired me so hopefully you inspire lots of other people as well 